welcome everyone to our first Set the Month in Motion Q&A forum um, in partnership with the City of Fremantle. We're very grateful to the City of Fremantle today for, um, I guess, giving us some assistance um, to bring what we believe, particularly as a chamber, some really important learning forums around the way we do business better and particularly in really tight economic times. Um, some of the topics that we've chosen have been selected by our Retail and Small Business Development Committee as the really core things that they feel would make a massive difference to their business. I'm really pleased that we're launching with a topic that whilst in many ways is quite dry is absolutely the essential part I think of doing business and I know speaking personally um, and having spent many times shuffling those sheets of paper and working out where you're going to go <laughs> at certain times with cash flow um, it is a really really interesting um, topic and a very very difficult one to get our heads around doing things creatively. Um, the way we are going to run the forums is to have I guess some key leading experts both from a, a business point of view but also people who are actually in the field working in their own businesses and doing things really differently. So today we have three key speakers um, with us. Um, Luke from Commonwealth Bank, Tom from RSM and Peter from the Left Bank. A fantastic um, amount of knowledge um, that I'm really looking forward to hearing from I love that um, quote about hospitality and retail, that the key to success to actually sell the product before you pay for the cost of it. And I think it's such good advice about those terms and those forward thinking about how you structure your own business to make sure money's coming in quickly and you're actually being able to cover some of those costs um, before you get yourself into trouble. The other thing that I find um, a really interesting point and I, it hit me in our previous business is do you actually get to the point where you're volunteering? And you can have an amazing turnover of business, but unless you're actually getting your cash flow right and unless you're getting that little bit of margin in, you can be turning over an awful lot and delivering great service to a vast number of people, but you're actually just volunteering for your own business. And I think, you know, making sure that you've got that planning for GST, you've got that planning for wages, and even that you've got that planning to pay yourself, um, I think is absolutely crucial in this market. Just um, as we before we go to the floor for questions, I've just got one for you Peter just around um, I guess in tough climate as you mentioned suppliers are, are feeling it as well and payment terms are obviously a crucial part of how we manage cash flow and if we can't get 30 day and 60 day terms particularly for small businesses that don't have large volumes how do you go about negotiating some of those terms with your customer or with your suppliers sorry it really comes back to the relationships you've, you have with those suppliers. Like they might be a 25-year relationship. They might be starting next week. It all depends on, I guess, your teeth. Sometimes they're not your friend. You've got to understand that it's business. I know Frank's your best mate. You've known him for a long time. But ultimately, if he has to sacrifice a little bit for you to, to survive, you're going to have to do it. And you, you sometimes you've got to have those conversations. But realistically, suppliers these days, like you said, are feeling the pinch. They want your business. They really do. They need your business. So you just got to fight hard for it is probably the, the key. And again, if you've got a good model and you can put some you know, volume behind it, always helps, obviously. But again, you've got to go out there and shop. It's the same as any retail. You've just got to go and look around. There are guys out there. And I hate to say this, but in this time, it's generally the bigger guys that can offer those, those terms. So maybe you do have to go away from the local guy just down the road and maybe look at more the, the national provider and I do hate to say that because we are small business and that's what we, we th well that's where our hearts lie but maybe that's it. Yeah, I'm just thinking, I'm particularly 
particularly when it comes to, to liquor and wine and a number of those, it, it is really important that um, businesses can survive in those areas. Um, just one thing, a, a question for you, Tom, just about systems and practices, because obviously, as you mentioned, businesses are incredibly busy and finding a way to effectively keep your eye on cash flow when you're running around trying to sell a product and, and trying to then actually do the work um, for small business. Have you got any tips and tricks on simple ways to actually manage cash flow on a regular basis? Yeah, so um, there's there's probably a couple of options, Denisha, in terms of, first of all, whether an owner um, you know, does that work themselves or whether they employ the services of a, a good bookkeeper that's on the ground or an internal accounting function um, where that, that gets done, um, or um, an accountant also. Um, but having that in-house is fantastic. And if the owner's able to do it, that's ideal because they're the people with the finger on the pulse. Um, but look, really, there's, there's no, there's probably no single silver bullet in that you, you just have to dedicate some portion of your week each week to looking at your business's numbers. Um, and, and that's really a, a matter of, first of all, having a cash flow forecast, building that or, or getting a, a, a program that, that functions that for you and then tweaking it each month. So that's got to be rolled each month, adjusted for what's happened, and then obviously go ahead to see how that impacts what's what's going to happen in the future. So I see, you know, um, with most small to medium-sized businesses, you're really needing to do that once a week um, in terms of the looking at your numbers, roll your cash flow once a month. Um, that's the kind of time investment that you need. There's no simple silver bullet, unfortunately. It's just time you've got to put into it. Um, there's lots of support out there, lots of help um, where people can come in and, and assist you on that to, to understand what you're doing and, and how you're doing it. Um, I listened to a presentation not long ago from the director of um, one of the big fashion houses nationally and he said even himself as a director of the business and 300 staff, he looks at cash flow once a week without fail because with 50 outlet stores around Australia he said it only takes a millisecond for a whole lot of stock to drop and not to have sold it um, then you start to get yourself into trouble so I think that's great advice just that running tick and I my very first accountant actually was from RSM many many years ago and the one thing she said to me is that you just hold everything to get an invoice out doesn't matter what's going on in the business and I think with retail and hospitality it's a little bit different because you're getting money through the door so you just need the customers coming through the door and putting it through the till but if you're in a service-based business like building and other things the world literally just has to stop for you to get invoices out in order to maintain that cash flow so I think that's really great advice. Um, Luke, really interested in the market side of things now and the number of different options that small businesses have to access capital. Obviously, the banks, um, but the banks are going through some significant changes themselves at the moment. What's your prediction of where small business will get cash from in the future? Good question. Um, look, I think the banks are, are, are very focused on, on the SME and um, commercial business. There's a, there has been a a movement back to um, really supporting grassroots business in communities. So I think banking, banking, um, uh, the big four banks, and the like will will, will still play a really strong role in um, in, uh, in in business banking. Uh, other op opportunities that there are there are a lot of other providers coming out, um, particularly around what we saw up there, which was the invoice financing. Um, so that's that's a, certainly an opportunity where you find 
So, so Pete, what Peter said about the uh, uh, you know negotiating with the suppliers and pushing pushing those uh, those areas absolutely critical. Um, but where you find yourself that you can't you can't make those negotiations work in your favour, that's where you can step out to a financier and and seek. Um, a working capital facility, which bridges that timing problem. So there are more. There are more and more of these people coming out that are doing um, invoice discounting, supplier-led finance. So they'll, they'll, the suppliers will actually finance as well now. So there are a lot. There are a lot more options. How deep you want to go in this conversation? But I think the the, the big four um, certainly. Um, you know, if you have a have a good conversation with your bank, and you've got a good plan and cash flow forecast, you should find. Uh, a, a solution. My next question, I guess, is um, open to anyone um, in the floor, but obviously in the current market, people are f running pretty close to the ground in many instances. And I guess the big question of cash flow is where it feeds into that definition of insolvency and, and some of the issues for directors of businesses. And I'll probably start with you, Tom, but at what point do you think as a small business you get to that point where potentially the cash coming in isn't quite meeting the cash going out and where is the line for small businesses in this market and when do you think they do need to make a call? Yeah, it's super tough in, in small business world, Dinesha, because it can feel like you're sort of insolvent throughout the entire life of your business when you're probably not. Um, that that that's kind of it's a, it's a really good question and, and the risks are great and if i can maybe start with that because the risks are immense for for anybody who's either a sole trader or a you know a director of a company it doesn't matter you've got exposure um if you trade insolvently so it's serious stuff um if you trade insolvently as, as a director of a company um th there's no protection from your personal assets so um, that's the cr trade creditors that you've got can come at you and take your house away <laughs> in, in short you know so and or even even if you do the right thing and you do stop trading when you're insolvent um, you're still exposed personally in terms of tax debts so pay as you go withholdings superannuation um, those sorts of things the ATO can still come at you and get your personal assets so so important um, it's a tough question as to when when you can't pay your bills anymore that's why the forecast is so important because that tells you when the cash that's coming in is not covering the cash that's going out so whilst it may feel like you're always insolvent it's not necessarily the case you can get help from a finance point of view to get funds in to cover you for the troughs but if you've got that forecast that that's then rolled regularly you know whether whether you're insolvent or not you know that that cash that's coming in is enough to cover what's going out um, and that, that's the only way to say it, because how you feel is not necessarily right, it's what's actually on paper that's real. Thanks so much, Tom, and I think that's a really clear um, perspective, because as you say, sometimes when you are shuffling those bills around, it does often feel like that, but the, the projection and having those plans in place, and even if it's an Excel spreadsheet that just kind of says this is where we're going, can make a big difference. Peter, I've got a question for you just around seasonality, um, and obviously with the left bank, primarily outdoors winter must be a lot tougher than summer how do you plan and manage some of those seasonalities within your business i guess like any small business or small to medium-sized business you know the troughs are coming and we talked about the plan 
you talked about having 12 month forecast or even your P&L which will show you your peaks and troughs if, you, if you're heading that way. But realistically, when it comes to seasonality, you want to close shop, so to speak. You want to run as lean as you can. You know what you're coming up against. You know that for three months of the year you might be running in, in negatives, whatever it may be. But you can't reinvent the wheel. You can't turn the sun on, so to speak, whether it be the winter season, whether it be the summer season. You, you've just got to deal with what you've got. But in those times, you've just got to make sure you've got your nuts in the tree, you've stored, you know what you're up against. And realistically, you've just got to manage it tight for that period of time and then hope the sun comes out again and, and shines, so to speak. And it's the same with Fremantle. As that foot traffic comes back, all of a sudden, you, you start generating the income again, the cash is coming in, and then you can move forward. But realistically, when it's quiet, you've just got to accept the fact that it's quiet and run it as tight as possible and do the best you can. But realistically, you probably don't want to overextend in those times. And you don't want to put your neck out there. So there's no point investing an awful lot of money in marketing and PR, which is what a lot of people do when it's raining, if you know that it's not coming. You're better off keeping your pennies in your pocket and waiting for the sun. hate to put a sailing analogy in, but it's a bit like battening down the main for a while, isn't it? And just seeing out the storm until uh, the sun comes out again. And, I, and that requires patience and it requires being able to hold tight and as you say not overspend on marketing because you're feeling like you still need to get people through the door if they're not going to come you know they're not going to come so I think that's really great advice I'd love to open up to the floor now um, if anyone has any burning questions um, that they'd like to put to our panel Daniel did you want hi thanks everyone um, uh, just a question um, about um, Perhaps I'll start with you, Tom. Um, just uh, you obviously get a lot of customers through your door. Um, what, what do you see as sort of a really common error, or maybe you could give us a little sort of case study of um, of a common challenge, perhaps um, for small businesses um, that come through your doors? Yeah, thanks. Um, there's lots of them, lots to pick from. So, um, but probably probably one of the most common ones is. I guess um, provisioning for um, costs around um, employees, and the reason is that you know we we pay out cash to our employee, um, and then we forget about everything else that we've got to pay on top of that later. That's the big one that, and and I think um, it's not just you know individual other employees; it's also owners. If you're paying owner's salary. Often people forget that, okay, I've got pays you go withholding, that also has to go to the tax office later. I've got superannuation that's got to be paid. I've got leave that's got to be accrued. And, if, and, and that leave one's a big one because people think, oh, well, that's not payable now. But what if that employee leaves tomorrow? It is payable then. So it is a real um, you know, item that needs to be um, thought about. So that, that's probably one of the, the key ones. Now, a case study that I can give you, it's not a happy one. It's one that... Um, somebody came to me that wanted to buy a hairdressing salon. A hairdressing salon, it's a tough business. Margins are, are quite low. Um, it's very labour intensive. It's, it's difficult to win customers. High, you know, easy, no barriers to entry. Um, and we looked at this business that was being looked at for purchase um, and I could see that it didn't have the volume, it didn't have the reputation and it didn't have the cash flow or the profitability um, to warrant a purchase. 
for zero dollars, let alone for 90,000 that it was on the market for. Um, you couldn't pay me to take that business. So um, well, you could probably pay me a bit, but you know, pay me a lot. You know, pay me a lot. Um, <laughs> so anyway, so went in there quite strongly and said, do not buy this business, bad idea. Um, because we could see exactly those sorts of things when you've got um, employees, um, liabilities that are not going to be covered by, by turnover. Sure enough, she went ahead, bought the business, um, tried to help her through it, you know, um, went through the whole the whole process of forecasting cash and profitability and the business failed within 12 months. Um, $90,000 down the drain. Um, very simple to do. Um, and she thought she was getting a bargain. So, and that all came down to cash flow and that business was, was not a sustainable business, cash flow was, even with an accountant's help. I think that provision for employees and particularly for leave, um, I know Peter you mentioned that pay, you know, part, permanent part-timers can be great in terms of being able to know where you're going and not pay all of those leave loading but without that additional calculation as well around suddenly you've got someone on leave for three weeks and you've got to get casual staff in to cover them. And just a really simple rule of thumb, whatever you're paying per hour, just add 20%, put it in the bank. Essentially, that's really simple rule of thumb. It's really 20% cost on top of your wages that you've got to squirrel away. Just as a and when you put that 20% away, you have to leave it away too because that's the other trick in small business, isn't it? Sometimes you can have all of that money put aside for PAYG, for leave, but when things get tight or it's a difficult season, it's very easy to pull into that money um, when really, as you rightly said, Tom, particularly with GST, it's not your money. So you actually can't keep pulling into that to get yourself through the tough times. Yeah, donation just, and that's a really good point. So you've got a couple of options there. You, you either set up another bank account for that money, and, and you know, to actually physically see it separate, or it does come back to your reporting. So you're actually looking at your balance sheet, making sure your balance sheet's up to date every day, which tells you how much of your money is, has got to be paid for certain things. Any other questions from the floor? Daniel, did you have another one? And then I'll uh, thank you. Um, we've talked a lot about um, expenses as well. I'd just like to touch a little bit more on the revenue side, um, so the money in. Um, obviously, as we've alluded to a few times, um, tough market. We've come out of um, uh, four years of um, declining domestic growth. We've um, had a decline in... Um, uh, discretionary spending, um, which is very unusual. Um, but the one thing we know is that um, these things change and it will change um, as it always does. Um, do you have, and I'd like to hear from all of you if possible, just some, um, some tips or ideas um, about um, uh, the revenue side um, given the current climate um, and also, I guess, um, setting yourself up for when the market does inevitably uh, pick up. Okay, I'll probably touch base on basically revenue generation. You've got to be realistic about who you are and your market. I'm not going to pick up Naomi Campbell. I'm not going to go to the pub and meet the most beautiful woman in the world. Hey, you never know. Natalie and Brilliant might knock on my door, but I doubt it. So I've got to be realistic who I am, where I'm, where I'm at in the market. And again, we talked touched on pricing before. And again, you said GST. People do forget that GST is NARS. You've also got to factor it into your pricing. The marketing is so important about who you are, what you are, and getting it out to 
A, the people that you want to get through your door, but also B, the people that are most likely to come through your door. There's no point in shooting high if realistically you're a bread and butter sort of venue or a bread and butter builder, whatever it may be. You're not going to get the Twiggy Forest of the world knocking on your door. There's no point in marketing to him. So I guess the key from a small business point of view is know who you are and know what you're selling and then market it appropriately. And then through these tough times where you're basically struggling to get people through the door, you've got to be real to yourselves. Obviously, you give the best service you can and then as the times hopefully improve and the market changes, you've got your forecast, you've got your finance, and before you know it, you're moving forward. Yeah, thanks. Um, I think the key with, with marketing from an accountant's point of view is, is um, first of all, you know, Peter, you touched on pricing. I think it's really important. The bottom-up pricing idea is, is, is key for me. Understand your costs first before you define your revenue. And ultimately, what Peter said was spot on. People are only going to pay what they're going to pay. So you've got to make sure that, first of all, you have a, sol a sellable um, good or a service and that it's, it's priced um, competitively and, and well. Um, that, that's, the, 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 I suppose, the negative view of things. But in terms of positive, think outside the box. Um, don't get defined by what you've always done because we can always make mistakes and just repeat the mistakes over and over again and, and not necessarily get anywhere. So it's important to think outside the box. But in terms of marketing, you know, to grow the top line, is it's all about consistency, repetitiveness, always be out there in the, you know, in the, in to be seen, basically. Otherwise, no one's going to come to you. That's my view. I'm going to add uh, the banker's perspective, which is, which is know your unique service proposition, so what, what you're known for. Um, understand your market and understand how you fit into it and what your specialty is and really exploit that. Um, agree with Tom's point about being consistent, but also innovate and um, try and push into new new uh, new markets or uh, create a stronger, uh, more defensible, unique service proposition with with innovation. And I think it's a really interesting point in this market too around who has the discretionary spending. I think you know we have all, and I've certainly made that mistake as well, put so much effort into attracting you know cool hipsters that make your venues look amazing, make your retail spaces look amazing, but they're the ones that have got tight spending at the moment and sometimes it's the older demographic that actually has the money to spend and we seem to put very little time into marketing and attracting those that actually have cash to spend. Um, I think we think about our product and who wants it but sometimes we don't actually think about who's actually got the money in this market. Any other questions from the floor? Wonderful. We have touched on marketing, I'll just say one thing. As a small business, there's certain things that you can do for free. Obviously, your Facebook, your, your Instagram or your Twitter. You can go out to a marketing firm. You can spend money on someone to come and do it for you. But ultimately, as a small business, you're probably going to have to do it yourself. They're the tools that you've got at the moment. Print media is probably on the decline quicker than we can possibly imagine. Go digital. Do it yourself. Do it for free. And give it the best you've got. And it's all about your imagery. Yeah. You're defined by the, the photos that you post, essentially. The post the best photos you can. Maybe pay for a photographer instead of a, a marketing guru as such. But yeah, it defines you. And at the moment, you can literally do that yourself. And there's no cost there. So as a small business, there are tools out there to be used. 
a wonderful segue into how I was going to wind it all up, Peter, too, so thank you. Um, you're right, we live in a very, very visual world and part of um, what we would like to do um, as a chamber and, and with the help of the city is to also focus on some of those over the next couple of months. We'll be looking at how you activate your retail and hospitality spaces to create an inviting environment in this very visual world, have a look at how we use social media in a very visual way. Um, but you're right, that market has changed a lot as well and the, and the days of needing massive advertising campaigns become very challenging in terms of who you reach and you can spend an awful lot of money and reach no one. Um, in other grassroots type campaigns, you can reach an awful lot of people and not spend any. So getting that balance right when your cash flow is tight is really crucial. And I guess from a, a professional services point of view in terms of managing additional revenue, how you actually build relationships and get that ongoing work becomes a part of your marketing strategy as well because if you're forming great relationships, the work keeps coming without you having to invest in finding new business and looking after the customers you've got. Daniel, you had one more question, did you, before we finish up? Uh, thank you. I was just um, going to uh, follow up uh, to something that Peter mentioned before. Um, just when you're talking um, uh, about the marketing um, uh, and about what you had said before um, about relationships being key, I'm just sort of curious um, to hear from probably all of you just on relationships um, uh, because that's something we sort of have only touched on, but I think is um, is super important. I guess I'll, I can really only talk about it from a hospitality point of view, but between your clientele and your local area, those relationships are paramount. Obviously, the community groups that you engage with, whether it be a sporting club, whether it be your kids at school, whether it be your friend down the road who's got a similar shop or whatever it may be, you've got to be out there. You've got to let them know what your business is about. You've probably got to make the effort and be the noisy person at the party who actually lets people know what your business does because you never know where it's going to come from. And from my point of view, it's always been about community and we do sponsor a lot of community groups and we engage a lot with the community groups. We go to the sporting events, we sponsor the sporting teams. Obviously, it's, it's different from a finance point of view, but in a retail space, which is essentially what hospitality is, it's retail, it's an easy way of letting people know you're there and what service you provide. Yeah, and I, I would just add from a service point of view, so um, Denisha sort of touched on the, the idea of repeat custom and that's so it's so important. So the services, service industry is really based on relationships with customers, otherwise they don't come back. Uh, I know from an accountancy point of view, we are the trusted advisor for a lot of people who, if they trust us, they're going to come back. If they don't, they don't. So... Um, Absolutely paramount that we focus on that. It's a, it's, it's a lot cheaper um, to keep your customers than to go out and find new ones. And furthermore, marketing's more than just getting new clients. It's about growing the existing fee base by providing more service to the people if they need it. So um, growing the actual um, service within the client base you've got. Absolutely. And getting that message out about new services to people that you've already got as customers is a lot easier. Tom's experience includes both regional and metropolitan um, businesses. Um, you've been with RSM um, since 2000. Background in commerce um, and I think that technical framework of why we're really talking about cash and why it is king um, will be really interesting to start. So Tom, if I can hand over to you. Thanks, uh, Denisha. Um, 
Yeah, so basically um, what I wanted to cover very briefly um, was what is cash flow, um, why is it important, um, strategies that you can basically use to um, get around some of the pitfalls and then ways to, to plan and measure uh, your cash flow. So let's start with why is cash flow king. You've all heard that cliche, uh, it's out there. Jack Welsh, ex-CEO of General Electric, once said, the three most important things to measure in business are customer, customer satisfaction, employee satisfaction, and cash flow. Now you'll note that there's only one financial KPI there and it's cash flow, and there's a reason for it. It's the most important thing for your business survival, hands down. Cash flow isn't profit, so profit um, has things in it that are not cash. Depreciation, accounts receivable, accounts payable. Um, very different type of report to cash flow statement. What does it mean if you have no cash flow? Really simple. You don't have the sufficient funds to make good investment decisions in your business. You don't have enough money to pay your bills and then you're out of business. As simple as that. So it's all about survival. So point two, what is cash flow? What are the components? So typically we break it up into three areas, operating, capital, finance and investing. So finance investing being one. So cash inflows are things like sales, your cash sales, plus your debtors when they pay you, injections and borrowings, which Luke will no doubt talk about shortly, capital introduced by you as business owners, and sale of equipment. Cash outflow, cash expenses out, payment of creditors, equipment purchases, loan repayments and distributions to the owners. Now you can see just from there that that's not a profit and loss statement, that's cash in and cash out, very different. The cycle of cash flow typically is you buy your, your, your goods, usually on credit terms, hopefully on credit terms if you've got to wait to, to, um, to get that cash back. It sits there in your stock for, for a number of days, weeks or months, depending on how quickly you turn that stock around. Um, you then sell that good, possibly on terms again. So again, you're waiting for that money to come back and when it eventually comes in, that's when you've got the money to pay your supplier and other operating costs and owner's salaries. So you can see the, the gap between those components of the cycle absolutely fundamental in terms of the, the success of your business. Cash flow needs to be positive, it needs to be available, and it needs to be timely. And they're the requirements of cash flow for you to be a successful business. What are some of the pitfalls, very quickly? Um, very common ones, paying long-term expenses and assets out of, out of cash when you should maybe finance, finance them over the long term. Not provisioning for employee costs like leave, pay-as-you-go, super. Income tax on profits, people forget about tax sometimes, especially when you start your business, you don't know what you're going to pay and suddenly you've got a tax bill at year end, plus you've got pay-as-you-go to pay as well, the double whammy effect that can really um, trip you up early on. And of course GST on sales, it's not our money. GST, look at it positively, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interest-free loan for a little while, but you've got to know how much it is because it's got to go back to the ATO. And really, not focusing on what I'm going to talk about now very, very briefly. So number four, strategies to improve cash flow. So a common thing to do is, okay, let's cut costs to improve cash flow. Don't cut the apple tree at the trunk if it just needs a prune. 
because that apple tree ain't going to make apples for you if you cut it down there. So you, you don't necessarily cut your, cut your way to greatness um, or shrink your way to greatness, so to speak. So be careful about the types of costs that you're cutting and also keep in mind that's more of a profit and loss um, situation anyway. So number two is really where it's at, accelerating cash inflows and deferring cash outflows. So think about invoicing promptly, invoicing often, chase up invoices, make it easy for your customers to pay, um, ask for upfront payment where applicable, things like that. With outflows, make sure make sure that you use up your creditor terms. So if they say pay by a certain day, pay on that day, no sooner. Don't wait after that, because then they'll get annoyed, um, but certainly use up the terms that are offered to you. Don't overstock your business, because if you hold your stock too long, again, that's a big impact on your cash flow. Working capital is probably the other area that I'd like to mention make sure you keep some cash surplus and that doesn't necessarily have to be cash that you've produced from sales not always possible in the early parts of business so luke will talk a little bit about how you can potentially get cash into your business in other ways other than sales so usually it's an owner injection or finance helped injection and then it's maintained over years with sales so it does take time to have some working working capital on your books if you're evening, if the, the point there around evening out flow, that's around marketing, scheduling your employees, being getting your employees there at the right time, you know, if, um, when it's not busy. Um, Peter, you'll probably talk a little bit about that, making sure you've got staff on the ground at the right time and not overstaffing. So I'll leave that point for now. In summary, the last point is just things that you need to do once you've got your cash flow going well. It's all about planning. It's all about measuring. Do 12-month forecasts at least. Um, a cash flow forecast is really important for small business. Um, basically, it allows you to monitor how your peaks, where your peaks and troughs are going to be and that, that way you're ready for them when they happen. Long-term, three-way budget's important, which is cash flow, P&L and balance sheet, but at least start off with a cash flow. Monitor your working capital. Try to keep it at around 10% of turnover. Easier said than done, I know. But that's the target you want to get to eventually in your business where you've got enough capital in your business to ride out those peaks and troughs. Chart your flow, look at your debtors and creditors turnover and keep an eye on your profit and loss. I know I've said it's, it's not as important but ultimately you need a long-term good performing business in order to survive long-term. So that's me, Denisha. So I'm Thanks so much, Tom. And I think setting the scene initially just to consider the framework in which we consider cash flow as part of our business on a regular basis is so important and we will open to the forum in a minute um, to cover off some really I guess key questions about what that means in practical terms Tom but that's fantastic introduction thank you. Um, Luke our next speaker is from Commonwealth Bank he's the corporate origination director um, here we're very lucky to have you with us Luke and Luke's been a fantastic supporter of the chamber so thanks for all your your help and assistance with us as well. Um, Luke focuses on new clients to source and structure corporate finance solutions and in these tight times I guess it's a double-edged sword between uh, needing cash and, and challenging times in terms of lending so we're very much interested in hearing where the bank's at as well um, in terms of short-term solutions for cash. So i just echo Tom's point as well just, uh, just around um, having a good cash flow forecast 
I sort of see it as probably one of the most critical uh, components here. We can skip skip that one. They say the uh, the, um, uh, the the camera puts on twenty pounds, so you can go past the picture of me. Um, there was there one slide just before that one? I just want to quickly talk about this um, in terms of just to give you the landscape of what a bank will and won't do. So banks banks will fund what we call the working capital requirement. Uh, and I was having an argument with my wife as an accountant over the weekend. She said, What's, what is this working capital requirement you talk of? Um, bankers, we, we view that as the time um, that it takes you. So you, 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 you pay a, a supplier for a widget. You bring that in. You, you value add to it. You transform that, that, that widget. Then you sell it to a customer. And then you're waiting for payment. So that, that, that uh, cash cycle that uh, Tom talked about, from when you pay someone to, for a good, to when you receive cash. We call that the working capital cycle, the working capital requirement of the business. And banks like to fund that when they understand it. Um, we, we will fund performance or financial obligations. So if you're a builder and you've got a, a performance obligation, we will fund that rather than you having to put cash up as a retention. And we'll also fund capital items used to generate cash flows. That might be a property, might be a piece of machinery, or we'll fund growth capital, so if you want to acquire another business to grow the top line um, or equipment to, to cut costs. The things that we don't, we won't, we won't fund, so this is probably important to understand from a, from, a, from a cash flow and liquidity perspective, is we won't, we won't fund losses if you've have had losses or we won't fund um, R&D generally or we won't fund dividends. So there are other sources of capital that you'll need if you've, if you've run into those issues. Um, this is a broad landscape of, of the facilities that would be available or the financing solutions that would be available. So Tom talked about getting cash in quickly. Um, what I've got there on the, on the, on the far, uh, or my, my right, um, are transactional facilities. So that's merchant facilities, so FPOS machines, um, smart terminals, so virtual terminals, websites, um, apps that help you get the money in quickly from your clients. So banks have really uh, developed a lot in, in, in uh, that space. So um, make sure you've got that set up correctly so you can get your money in quickly and process it, invoicing, et cetera, et cetera. Banks will, will, can really help out there. Then traditional working capital. So an overdraft, everyone probably familiar with that one. It's a come as you go. Um, bank guarantees and letters of credit for performance. A borrowing-based facility. People may not be aware of this one. It's, um, again, looking at that working capital cycle and funding the inventory that you hold, so a percentage of the inventory, and a percentage of your receivable, so invoices that you've you've put out to clients. That can be really useful. Uh, and then there's a trade advance, which is, which again, finances that whole cycle. On the, on the growth capital side, equipment finance, so that's things like cars and fleet, or term loans, that's straight debt to finance things like acquisitions. Okay, so just a couple of things. When you... The worst time to approach a bank is probably when you're in that tight liquidity uh, point. It's it's uh, it's going to be hard for you. It's going to be hard for them to do it timely. So planning ahead as much as as you can, tying into Tom's point around the cash flow model, absolutely critical. Even when you get a a, um, uh, a positive event, say you you've sold uh, X number of widgets, you've signed a new contract, the cash flow impact of that might be significant. It might actually mean that you you run out of cash. The positive thing results in a negative outcome. So if you can, if you know that through cash flow modelling, then you can deal. You can put a, a facility in place to deal with it um, well ahead of time. Um, 
just add a couple other points on that, that last slide. Sorry, I know I'm probably going over time, Denisha, but um, just using the, the, the right facility for the right, the right, uh, the right event. So you don't use short-term liquidity facilities for um, long-term purchases. So don't use an overdraft to buy a car um, because that car will not generate the cash flow in enough time to pay back that facility. So you put that on a long-term debt. Um, we could we could probably move on to the next slide. Thanks, Denisha. So th then I thought I'd just quickly just uh, go through some of the ways that a bank looks at you. So when you're approaching a bank for liquidity facilities for cash flow facilities, always think about it in terms of capacity. So they're going to look at it and say, well, how do we get repaid? How does the business pay the interest? How does the business pay the, the the principal back? So if you can explain to a bank again through a cash flow model, or explaining that you've signed a contract and the repayment is from the profit or from then, then you make sure you, you bring that out um, when, you, when you approach the bank. The collateral piece is the security. Um, banks will t tend to look for security from, from SMEs. Not all the time, depending on what the circumstances are, but have a think about what you might offer as, as a collateral. And then the character piece, so talking about yourselves and how, you, how you've uh, dealt with um, these situations before, how long you've been in business, your history um, uh, at operating in your sector. So they're what, what's called the three C's of credit. That's basically how a bank will look at a business. So important when you're approaching for liquidity. And very quickly, this is just an example of that trade facility I talked about in terms of liquidity funding. A bank can actually fi finance the whole, the whole way from when you pay the supplier for the goods to when you receive it to when you then sell it to three different buyers. So you can see you can get finance for day one to actually buy the goods from your supplier. You're not getting paid from your, from your customers until day 150. A bank will actually finance or may finance that whole cycle. So you f it, it uh, frees up cash in your business to do other things. Peter, seasonal business, the left bank. You've been uh, managing it as a venue manager for a long time. Experience with the Cot Hotel and a number of our big key venues. Long-term player venues that have seen out season after season. Obviously doing something right in terms of cash flow. Um, but just be really interested to hear your views um, on both, I guess, the, the framework that the gentlemen have talked about, but also how that applies from a practical perspective. Uh, thanks, guys. So obviously... Tom and Luke, probably more professional side of it. I'm probably more the hands-on cold front, so probably more talking to small businesses as such, but also from a medium business point of view, how to manage your cash flow. So obviously cash flow is in and out. That's the easiest way of looking at it. You're basically taking payment, and obviously it's your expenses at the other end. We'll call it expenses. I'm going to assume that it's a declining market, purely because it seems to be the way at the moment. So the reason we're here, obviously, is it's getting harder to get flow in. So again, I'm going to assume that you're doing your own marketing. Your marketing is obviously to drag, to drag that flow in. So I'm going to hit on three key points. Number one, obviously, is, well, wages, wages, wages. As a small business owner, obviously, or a medium-sized business, it might be yourself, it might be seasonal staff, be it casual, be it permanent part-time or salary. It's probably paramount to any small business, wages. It's probably number one cost. We'll just assume it is. We'll take out rent. The way that you manage your staff is probably going to be the most important, important thing moving forward. If you can maybe look at the way you run casual staff compared to permanent part-time, compared to salary staff, weekend loadings. It's a bit of a minefield at the moment, workforce management. 
but by the same token, if you if you do it well, you can pretty much save 30% off your wage bill. You're going to have to have a certain amount of wages, obviously. You're going to have to have a certain level of wages, as the guys touched on. You've got to you've got to give the service. Without the service, people won't come back, and they're going to expect a certain level. But if you can manage your wages into that and still provide the service, you're miles in front. So the main thing I'd say to a small business is look at your permanent part-timers, guys that work between eight and we'll say 30 hours a week. They're the money shot. There's probably where you're going you're gonna to sit. Your roster is probably going to be quite similar from week to week, depending on the seasons. And again, if you're looking at casual staff on the weekend, you're better off having a permanent part-time if they work every weekend. Yes, you'll incur penalty rates, but it'll be 25% less loading. And again, holiday sick, you've got to factor that into your cash flow, obviously. But that's somewhere where you can actually just shrink the expense with really an hour a week of your time, which isn't a lot. And when you're talking a small business where time is paramount, one hour a week to save you 30% off your wage bill is, is gold. So obviously wage is number one. We'll go number two, cost of goods. Cost of goods, again, it's a service. You might offer a service as a builder. You might offer, a, a, I don't know, a sandwich as a delicatessen. Whatever it is, obviously your cost of goods, again, probably number two or number three of your, your cost of your business. If you can't, if you do your research and you look out there in the market, if you can't charge $10 for the widget, there's no point in having a widget. Pure and simple. The widget might be fantastic. It might cost you $2.50. But if the people are prepared to pay 8 for it, great. But if you need to charge 10 you can't sell a widget. So you've got to look at your cost of goods. You've got to look at how you create your service to the community, whatever that may be, whether it be selling a can of Coke, whether it be selling them a building. If the customer isn't prepared to pay the price that you need to put on it, you don't really have a business. And then your cost of goods will factor into that. So you might have a rough rule of thumb of where you think your widget's worth $10. You do your business model, you look at your cash flow, you might need to charge $3. You might need to charge $4. All of a sudden, you have to justify exactly what you're selling, how you're selling it, and where you're paying for it. So cost of goods again, and keeping a tight control of it, whether it be stock take, whether it be managing your ins and outs and, and your purchases, obviously. Again, but cost of goods is probably number one for a small business. Sorry, number two, followed by wages. And last but not least, I'll try and keep it brief. It's really expenses. It's your outgoings. I think Benny from Benny's, I've only met the guy about five times, but the one thing I took from that meeting was it's not the dollar you earn, it's the dollar you save. Typical Benny, fantastic, but it's probably one of the best liners because really it's your expenses that are going to trip you up. You could be turning over huge amounts of money, but if it's just going out the other end, there's no point in being in business because basically you'll fail. So your expenses, and you really have to look at what you do from A to Z. Every single item that you either sell or the service you provide, just go through, speak to your suppliers, do your research, look out there. If you can get it for a dollar less, you probably have to charge $2 less at the till. So you're better off buying it for a dollar less than trying to put your prices up, particularly in this price-sensitive market. So really, your suppliers, you've really got to hammer them. And again, we touched on the way that certain suppliers do deal with their credit. If they want COD, they're probably not your supplier. Not in this time in the market. You probably want 60-day payments, 90-day if you can get it. But realistically, you want to purchase that from a supplier and you want to sell it before you've actually had to pay for it. All of a sudden your cash flow is there, cash is king again, you've got money in your bank and then you can manage how you pay your bills. So looking from A to Z of pretty much every single item, 
whether it be banks, whether it be phones, whether it be internet, every single service provider that you use as a business, obviously even rent, go back to basics, start at line one, and just try and trim a little bit from everywhere because those little one percent, they add up to a lot at the end of the day. So you can save yourself a fortune just by really forward planning, just looking at suppliers, seeing how they structure, and working your way through that from, from top to bottom. And it's those expenses that will really, really enable you to keep your cash in your account, to pay your wages, to give that service, and hopefully, yeah, be a thriving business. So, but yeah, thanks guys. Well, folks, we've reached our, our one hour completion of our first podcast um, for the Building Capacity Forums. And I'm really pleased um, that we've had such an incredible calibre of expertise on our panel today. So thank you, gentlemen, very, very much. We do have a small gift for you before you go. Um, but I will wind up the podcast now. And if anyone would like to stay and ask any questions directly, you are more than welcome to. But thank you very much. Our next one will be exactly a month from now. So we'll run these on the first Monday of every month.